Yes, supposed, but also there are a group of people who have been given the gift of preaching um, through the Holy Spirit. That happened at Pentecost where um, the Holy Spirit poured out and people of all different ages and genders and uh, you know, races got to speak the, the word of God on behalf of the people. And so you see, uh, you see it happening throughout Scripture, and we want to practice that. And uh, we began imagining what would it look like to gather a group of people to be preaching at Victory Point. And so we just started at this, uh, this last December. We gathered a, a group of uh, eight of us who are going to be journeying together to uh, sharpen each other in the gift of preaching. Some of them you've heard before, others you haven't heard before. And I'm just really excited to diversify the, the way that the Word of God is proclaimed and um, also to raise up the giftings. And um, so it'll be kind of a surprise. There will be maybe basically once a month you'll be able to hear from somebody who is not me or Matt, who is sharpening their gifts in preaching. Um, these are people that we kind of hand-selected and thought, all right, um, these people are, are really show some giftedness in this. There's other people beyond that that we weren't able to invite into this portion of it, but I'm hoping that as we continue on with this that others are able to join in and grow in their ability to preach because we are all accountable to the Word of God, right? We all can hear from God, and we can all give them the, uh, the ability and responsibility to be able to proclaim God's truth. So today, Jesse is going to be sharing with us. Jesse has preached at Victory Point before, but I just want to say that Jesse is a gifted uh, communicator. He loves God, and more importantly, God's love fills him. And uh, he's got um, a message that's on his heart that I'm really um, excited for us to hear this morning. So let me um, pray for him and with him as we kind of enter in together this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you that your gifts have been poured out in your church. Thank you that you have poured out your gifts into Jesse through his whole life since his baptism. You have uh, claimed him. You have uh, proclaimed your love over him. You've put your word inside of him. And, um, and he's about to share what you've put in him. And so open our hearts, open our, our ears to receive the word that you have for us this morning. May it sink deep into our hearts and may it produce good fruit in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. As uh, Brendan said, my name is Jesse, and um, it's a privilege to be able to be up here this morning and um, to be able to share some things that God's put on my heart from his word. Um, I'm going to be totally real. I'm not going to be as funny as Reuben is, and I'm probably not going to use as many big words as Brendan does. Um, But what we do share in common is a deep love for the vision of Victory Point. And really, that's because we believe that that's the vision that Jesus has for the church, that we as the church become a people that embody his kingdom in our families, in our community, and in our world. Last week, Matt started us in on a a series called Kingdom Culture to start the year thinking about this because Jesus spent a lot of his time talking about the kingdom of God. His very first preaching was repent for the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is coming. Like this is close to Jesus' heart, so it should be close to ours. And as Matt spoke last week, we wrestled with how the kingdom is the place where the king reigns. So it's the place where King Jesus has total dominion and reign. It's the place where his will is done. As people that are followers and disciples of Jesus, then it's our our job, our responsibility, our invitation to learn how to live in the will of God. So today, we're going to read from Isaiah 
It was Monday's reading this week on our our community reading plan, Isaiah 42, and we're going to wrestle with what it means to live as one in the kingdom, especially to live as one in the kingdom in a time when the world is still very broken. So would you read with me? But before we do, I'm going to pray. Jesus, may your words be louder than any of mine. God, it's your word that transforms our hearts, that moves us from a place of lost place of need to a place of um, identity, a place of purpose, a place of um, being your child. So may your word speak loud, mine be soft, um, and may our hearts be open to what you have to say. Isaiah 42, we're going to read 1 through 9. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings the islands will put their hope. This is what the God, the Lord, says the creator of the heavens who stretched them out who spreads them out over or spreads out the earth with all that springs from it who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it i the lord have called you in righteousness i will take hold of your hand i will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the gentiles to open eyes that are blind to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Let's see. So as I read this passage this week, justice, the word justice really came out. And we're going to dig into what justice is in the kingdom of God a little bit today. We won't exhaust it, but we're going to think about it. But before we step into thinking about justice, we need to think about a couple other things. And so today we're going to think about what does it mean for us to engage kingdom justice when it grows out of our kingdom identity or our covenant identity. I think once we, once we think a little bit about our covenant identity, we can think about how that identity changes our view of justice and injustice. And then we're going to land today thinking about how hope moves disciples into action. Today, we're going to start with the invitation. There's going to be some challenge today. And I share this challenge as challenge I speak to myself as much to you, but it's the challenge of being a disciple. Um, So I hope you stay with me. Engaging kingdom justice grows out of a covenant identity. The first words in Isaiah 42, here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one to whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. When I read this and was pondering this over the last few weeks, I couldn't help but think of Jesus' baptism that we already talked a little bit about today. The God of the universe, Jesus, was baptized. And in his baptism, as he comes up from the water, the, the heavens open, and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son whom I delight in or whom I love. And as Brendan talked about a few minutes ago, is, is God is asking and inviting us to receive that same identity. 
Because Jesus didn't see fit to stay in heaven and leave us to our own destruction. He came as a child. He came into this world, was baptized, lived perfectly, was crucified on a cross for us and rose again. We are invited into the same identity that Jesus is given from his Father. If we want to be people that live in the will of God, we need to start with understanding that. That our identity is not built on our circumstances. It's not built on the things that happen around us, but built on the character of who God is. Romans, Paul in Romans talks about how we actually, as Christians, become heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs in the kingdom of God. We are given that. That's not something we've earned. And so as co-heirs, we need to understand who we are. And we need to understand whose we are. And those are two things, because who we are is children of God. That's the identity, the covenant promise that God's made us. He said, you are my child. That's God's doing. It's given. And whose we are is God. And it's important that we remember both, because whose we are allows us to stand in suffering and hardship without losing our identity. Because whose we are is the Father who doesn't change, who is all-powerful, who is going to bring about the things he's going to bring about, who's going to fulfill his promise. That's whose we are. So our identity is built on the character of God, not on the circumstances of our life. I think as we start to live and understand this, we can start thinking about what it means to live in the kingdom. So as we think about kingdom justice, justice is, is such a huge like idea. Um, and it's almost overwhelming to even think about talking about. Because as I look at the world, I see such a contrast between what, what God promises it's going to be like and what it is right now. I think we can all experience that brokenness, the brokenness of sin in our own life, the brokenness of um, societal sin and brokenness of societal injustices. We see it in racism and, and sexism, and we see it in all sorts of discrimination of the world. I mean, if you listen to the news, things aren't right in our world. I don't think you'll find anybody, Christian, atheist, anybody of any religion that will argue that everything in the world is right right now. So what is justice in the kingdom of God? I think justice in the kingdom of God is the place where heaven meets earth. The place where, where God's reign is, is experienced and made known on earth. Because it has to do with God's righteousness. Not our own understanding of righteousness, but God's. And so for us to participate in that, we have to start living into our identity and understanding who God is. Sometimes when I think about injustice in the world and how to step into it, I get so overwhelmed that I don't know where to begin. It's kind of like paralysis by analysis, if you've ever heard that phrase. Like, the problem's so great, I'm just going to come up with all these ideas about how to get into it, but I'm never going to actually start because I'll just come up with a better one. Or maybe for me, it's a little bit like the pile of laundry in my house. Laundry in our house is kind of this ongoing battle, right? We have a couple kids, they go through like six outfits a day, and I mean, sometimes my littlest one will just come down in a new set of clothes. Daddy, I changed. And then 15 minutes later, it's PJs, and then it's back to another clothes. So laundry just piles up, piles up, piles up. And as this laundry piles up, the motivation to do anything about it seems to decrease. Because honestly, by the time we wash it, it's going to go on our bed in a big pile. And by the time it's on our bed in a big pile, we're going to want to go to bed, so we swash it to the floor. 
And before we can even use that laundry, we have to fold it and sort it and put it away. And when that's all done, well, there's another basket of laundry to do. And I think sometimes when we think about injustice as Christians, we kind of get paralyzed like this. Like, uh, it's so big, I'm not going to even start. God must have it someday. We, we have this hope, but it's kind of abstract as like someday that'll happen. I believe the example Jesus gives us invites us into something more challenging than putting it off. I believe out of our kingdom identity, Jesus invites us into injustice. Maybe not solving injustice. That's what we want. I mean, especially as people in America, people in such a results-driven place, we want to solve the problem. Maybe that's not what we're invited to first. Maybe first we're invited into the injustice. Isaiah goes on to say that he, Jesus, will not shout or cry out, Or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring justice. He will not not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. I believe full-heartedly that God has a heart for justice. And when we talk about God's justice, it's not... Usually when the the Bible uses that word, it's not this punishment, reputative type of justice. It's restorative justice. It's God seeing broken things and wanting to make them new. And that's the kind of justice he's inviting us into. Jesus is going to judge things someday, and his justice will reign. But till then, he's invited us to be part of the restoration of all things. In our own lives, in the lives of our community, and in the lives of the world. But what does that look like when it's so overwhelming? I was reflecting on a book, one of my favorite books called um, Out of Solitude. It's a book by Henry Nouwen. Um, Henry Nouwen is like a, a really great author and really journeyed through a period of time where he sought relevance and importance. He was a professor at, I forget if it was Harvard or Yale. Um, but then he, he spent time working with folks that have uh, intellectual disability. And he found that they didn't really care a lot about his accolades. They cared about his presence. And I see this in Jesus, too. I see a God that cares about the presence. Just weeks ago, we remember Jesus coming from heaven to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus didn't stay in heaven, but his solution to brokenness in the world, God's plan for redemption is that he would come as a human, come near So as I think about this, these words that Henry Nouwen wrote really caught my attention. The basic meaning of care is to grieve, to experience sorrow, to cry out with. I'm very much struck by this background of the word. Because care, we tend to look at caring as an attitude of the strong toward the weak, of the powerful toward the powerless, of the haves to the have-nots. And in fact, we feel quite uncomfortable with an invitation to enter into someone else's pain before doing something about it. Oh, how true of that is that for me? I mean, how much more would I rather fix something from somebody than just be with them? But that's the example I see in Jesus so often is, is that he came and he was present. And rather than fighting 
most of his energy against like these authorities and powers and coming in and destroying the Romans. He came under the Roman authority and, and spent his time with the lowly and the least, and he saw humanity in them. He saw in the ones that the world liked to set aside, he saw that they were image bearers of the king. He dwelt with them. And their hearts responded because he called out in them their identity as children. See, I think as disciples, we, especially here, we like to have cure and solutions. We don't like pain. We'd rather be comfortable. But I think a reality of being a follower of Jesus is that as our heart begins to align more with God's heart, we're going to experience pain. And this is the challenge, and this isn't the fun part, but Jesus promises that suffering is part of the deal. And he knows it well because he went to a cross. We're going to experience pain as our heart aligns with the Father's heart because the Father's heart breaks over the injustice of this world. Of the way humans, his image bearers, ones made to represent him, are treated by other humans. His heart breaks. And as we follow Jesus, our heart is going to mirror his heart, and it's going to break. We need to dwell there a minute. There's hope, and we're going to get to that, but we need to dwell with the fact that our heart needs to break. I think of the drug trafficking that's happening in Mexico. I can't solve that problem. But as a community... We have people that are a light in that place, that are investing in that place. And this is when we get to the hope. Because there are people, and this is later in Nowen's word, he says, are we willing to not run from the pain, to not get busy when there is nothing to do, and instead stand rather in the face of death together with those who grieve? That's what that ministry is doing. They've placed themselves in that place as a light And we know that light cannot be overcome by darkness. You take a candle into a dark room and the darkness can't stop the candle from shining. So Jesus' invitation to us as disciples is to join him in the injustice and suffering. To be light in the dark places. And that is a hard word. But there's hope. Because at the end of the scripture in Isaiah, God tells us about how he makes clear what's to come. And there's hope and joy in meeting people. As I thought about this this week, um, I thought of my own story. And there was a season of my life where I went through uh, pretty significant depression and anxiety. It was hard. It was painful. But what I remember about that season is a couple things. One, it's part of where I learned a lot about who God's character is. And two, I remember people that stood beside me and walked through that time with me. Not trying to explain away the questions I had or the pain I felt, but stood there beside me, reminding me and pointing me to the God that is good. A couple weeks ago at our MC, our missional community, um, Brenda DeYoung shared a story um, from Kids Hope. And as I was reflecting on this, it seemed appropriate to share it with you all. Some of you may have heard this before, but uh, many of you might not have. So these are Brenda's words. It was December 2012. It was a surreal day for me walking into Great Lakes Elementary. 
It was a Monday morning after the school shooting in Newton, Connecticut at Sandy Hook Elementary School, where 20 children and six adults were killed. I watched a little bit of the news coverage that weekend, and I could only think of my friends at Great Lakes Elementary and imagine each of them in harm's way. I had something to do at the school that morning and took my camera along with me as Mrs. B, Arlene, who a lot of you might know, um, was meeting with her, her student, Spencer, and I wanted to stop by and get the picture of them together. As I was visiting with them for a bit, Spencer played for me joy to the world on his cool piano telephone that Mrs. B brought in. She showed it to me and wondered if Spencer would like it. Spencer was gifted in music just like Miss B. I took some pictures and was about to leave when Spencer asked if I could, would like to hear him sing a silent night. I sat back down and listened as Spencer closed his eyes and began to sing on perfect pitch, as Mrs. B was certain to tell me, the familiar Christmas carol. I had a few tears in my eyes as this was a tender moment that Monday morning. I don't think they sing that song in public schools anymore. It wouldn't be allowed, but on that Monday morning, through the voice of a child and a safe and caring environment provided by Arlene, I was reminded that God is in control, and through his son, Jesus, all is calm and all is bright. Years later, I ran into Spencer's mom at the wooden shoe where she worked. I asked her how Spencer was doing, and she lit up and told me about him. He was doing really good, and he was working. She told me, you would never know how much it meant for Spencer to have a mentor. Some of us are not sure we are making enough of an impact in our students' lives. I think the power of our presence is success. Sometimes we need to readjust our expectations. Society is so results-driven with unrealistic expectations, we come in thinking, this kid is going to read above grade level. This kid is going to go to Harvard and get out of poverty. We must trust and remember from Isaiah 55, God's ways are higher than our ways. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish in his way. He never does things halfway. We're going to experience the pain of the Father's heart, but we, we don't have to stay there because we have a hope that is much more powerful, a hope that has overcome. And Isaiah talks about this, that hope moves us into action because he says that, that the Lord is going to hold his hand out to us and he is going to walk with us, that the Lord is the one that does the work of bringing justice and that we are the partners, that he is going to make a people that are his people to be light in this world. And ultimately, he says that he sees, he sees the former things that have taken place, and he's declaring new things. Before they spring into being, he announces to us what they are. See, as co-heirs, as sons and daughters of the king, he hasn't kept us in the dark about what's to come. We know what's to come, the full restoration of everything, all the pain taken away, all the brokenness gone. And so we can live today as if that is true now. We can live in that hope because we know it's true. And so we can endure the hardship of the brokenness we see in this world and we can enter into the pain of another person's story and stand alongside them calling hope out in them because we know Jesus will be faithful. Because we have an identity and a, in a father that is good. Because the promise that he's given us 
in Revelation is this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautifully dressed, or bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We're the church. We embody this today. But only as much as we're willing to step off the throne of our life and put Jesus back in it. Only as much as we're willing to step into pain and injustice, knowing that we have a hope that's not going to fade away. That's how we step into the kingdom today. A kingdom that's coming and has come. I'm going to invite the band back forward. I'm going to leave you with some space with a couple questions I want you to just kind of reflect, pray, and respond. So first, have you responded to the Father's invitation of a new identity? The Father looks on you. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, of offering himself to atone for sin and inviting you into the kingdom, he looks at you and he says, I'm pleased with you. You're my son or my daughter. Have you received that identity? If you haven't, or if you struggle with it, I invite you to ask for that again. That God would speak those words over you. Those words of delight. My second question for you to think about is, is your identity as God's beloved, has it caused you to see the world and people differently? Because as our identity is changed to not match our circumstances, but to live out of the character of who God is, we start seeing other people differently because we believe that God sees them the same way he saw us. Whether we agree with them, their choices, their ideas, their thoughts, their beliefs, they are children of God that he sees as his image bearers and he desires for them to know and worship him. So has your identity changed the way you see the world and people? And finally, how are you going to proclaim the hope over injustice by being present? I invite you into a time I'm going to pray and then the bland will um, lead us in worship. Daddy, I'm so grateful you sent Jesus that we could know you and your kingdom, that you gave us the perfect picture of what it means to be um, one that lives in your kingdom. So as we seek to embody that same kingdom, you invite us into being your children and your heirs. Um, speak now to us about what that means for our own lives for this week. Jesus, for those that may struggle to believe that you delight in them. God, that's me most often. 
I pray that you would remind us. Remind us that you look at us and you say, you're my son, you're my daughter. I'm pleased with you. And out of that, give us boldness to step into pain and injustice with the, with the hope of restoration, to stand next to those that are experiencing um, oppression, whether it be the neighbor, the family, within our own family, in our community, in our world. Um, not feeling like we have to have every solution, um, but knowing we have the ultimate hope. Pray this in Jesus' name.